Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 202 for Monday, July 18th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is Pixel Fried. I mean, Pixel Riffs, or Johnny, <laughs> as you may know him better. Hello, sir. If, like me, you're trying to beat the heat, you might want to listen to The Render Distance for a few tips on that and just a general chat about how warm it's been, plus a few other bits and pieces as well. Um, that's, as always, available to our patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. And apologies if you can hear the occasional uh, sip of water come from over here or the fan noise in the background. But yeah, I am trying to trying to stay cool over here. It's important, I think, you know, with all the time that both our listeners ourselves as as podcasters and and people that have home studios and streamers and content creators spend in front of the computer and spend inside that you take the time to make sure that you're getting enough water that you're you know staying cool if you can uh all that kind of stuff because uh even like not getting too serious about it with like health and safety stuff but just even just your mood and your just quality of what you're doing will change dramatically if you're overheated i oh, can yeah. tell immediately if i'm streaming and i'm far too hot because i just want to quit yeah <laughs> i just want like, to yeah i yeah i do i get grumpy i want to get up and i want to go do something else and so that's usually my my uh my tip to be like okay fill the glass with ice uh you know turn the fan on and just apologize if people can hear it but like you know what i something that i find too i see a lot with with content creation you know like around minecraft uh especially with like people taking vacation right now and then apologizing for not putting up a video for a few days i'm just like yeah, you were uh -huh. on vacation like you're allowed to do that you shouldn't have to apologize for taking a break and uh i for one you know like I appreciate the, the heads up that there might be a fan noise or something like that, but I don't feel like people have to apologize when they're dealing with like heat waves or, you know, issues in the summertime where like, look, you, you have to do the job. You maybe you don't have a choice. You have to go ahead and do the thing. But like if having a fan on the background is just how you make make it comfortable, then like have at it, folks. Like, you yeah, know, absolutely. Stay, stay comfortable and cool is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Well, I will also not apologize for the fact that I didn't upload a video this week until Saturday because what I did was the Great Bridge. Um, so my, my Minecraft week has been spent building a bridge on the Empire's SMP. It is a 400 block long bridge across a massive lake just south of Spawn. It took all week to gather the materials and to build it, which I also did on live streams and a, a bit of a bit of that if people want to see the process. I was using Lightmatica. I think I mentioned a bit of this on last week's show with James, but we... Um, yeah, we, we've we've been working on a few ideas for road networks around the server, and I decided one of the things I wanted to do was have a massive bridge that connected my savannah that I'm building in primarily to the, I guess, east side of the map, because most of the other people on the server have settled on the east side of spawn. And so I decided, yeah, I'm going to build this massive bridge, kind of inspired by architecture from Elden Ring. A few people have said it reminds them of the bridge across Lake Hylia in Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is a huge compliment because that bridge is beautiful. Um, and so I built this thing. There are like 12 different supporting pillars, kind of in pairs, forming arches, supporting the, the main platform of the bridge. And I decided to do 12 pillars for it because there are 12 empires on the server. So it's kind of become a community build as well. I've encouraged each of the others to claim a pillar and decorate the top part of it somehow, either with like a statue of themselves or something that represents their empire or turn it into like a an embassy or a shop or something that, that kind of represents them. Um, and so I'm hoping that that's going to be one of the kind of keystones of our 
road network across the server, but it took me all week to make <laughs> because I wanted to make it fairly detailed. I had to mine a lot of the stone that went into it, but in the end, I came up with something that I'm really, really happy with. I've I've seen the video and I saw the sneak peek. You shared some screenshots with me last week after we talked to James. And I mean, massive is not quite the word. Uh, I, I love the fact that you can't see the other side. Yeah. <laughs> so long. Yeah. Even in the middle, I think you said you can just see where it touches. Yeah, you can you can comfortably land. you can comfortably see the edges if you're standing in the middle. But the problem I was having whilst I was recording this for a time lapse was that the server has a maximum render distance of I think twelve or sixteen chunks, I forget which, but it's pretty mm. dialed up, but if I'm on one end of it, then the other end of it unloads. And so when I'm trying to create like smooth camera moves in the time lapse, I, I'm I'm having the camera go from the left side of the bridge to the right, from the, from the east to the west. And then if I'm on the east side, the west side of it unrenders. <laughs> and so it became a logistical problem for the video edit, along with how much of a, an issue it was to, to build it in the first place. But um, the one thing I have left to do on this now, aside from yeah encouraging people to build more stuff around it, is that the pillars themselves started at water level because they were just built on floating stone platforms um, because I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew and build the pillars all the way down to the lake bed on the first pass and now that I'm happy with it and that it's in there I've started filling in the bottoms of those pillars so that they they hit the lake bed below and the fun thing is even though you know I don't normally use shaders for regular gameplay, I did this whole time lapse with shaders, and you can see these beautiful reflections in the water. And I I enjoyed that enough that I thought, well, what I'm going to do is try and simulate a reflection underneath the surface of the water as well. So I'm using mostly the same materials, mixing in a little bit more tough to make it feel like the pillars are a bit more weathered by the water, the sort of natural erosion that would take place on the legs of the of the bridge, and. I've tried to mimic the pattern of mossy cobblestone that I have in the pillars themselves underneath the surface and then fade it down into materials like basalt and mud that have a much darker color palette so that even if you can see relatively clearly through the lake, it feels like they're fading out into the darkness underneath it. Nice. And that's working out really well so far. I'll try and get a couple of screenshots of that as well. But it's uh, yeah, it's come together really nicely so far. I'd imagine hitting the lake bed with some bone meal will help with that too. Just oh, yeah. to create that kind of like overgrowth and, and life. And I, I think this whole thing is an excellent lesson in scale mm -hmm. because the amount of detail that you've been able to fit in at a glance. And then when you look in and closely, you're like, that's not even like stairs and stuff. Like it is at the top, like the whole pillars, like they're mostly full block details. Yeah. And you, you've changed block textures in certain ways that give more depth to the, I guess the best way to call them is like the rings of the supports as they go up. There's three concentric rings on each pillar for people that don't don't know yet but um what i like so much about that is like the block choices right underneath the rings create like a sense of depth with like a darker color and then it goes back to the regular stone but for me it does two things with the scale and i don't know whether that's just human culture and human history in general but big structures like this just feel old yeah probably mm -hmm. because they're also made of stone yeah and and i feel like there's a certain point in human history that we're all just kind of used to where humans realize Yes, we can build things massively out of stone, but we don't have to. <laughs> and I and I feel like like pyramids and things like the you know Roman architecture and all that kind of stuff was amazing. But after after a while, once the industrial revolution comes in, 
like you'll see things like skyscrapers and stuff like that, which are bigger than these stone structures, but they just don't have the same sense of uh, permanency or, or age to them when you look at them. Whereas I think the combination of like, when you see something this large, it just, you, it has this instinctive feeling of like, this must've taken forever to build. Yeah. Uh, not just as a Minecraft player, but like, as like, if you think about it, like in, a, in the mythology of the world when people are moving stones around yeah. by hand, then this would take an eon. And, and I just, uh, I, I really like the, the feeling you get from it. Like it's, it's big, it's, it's, overwhelming but then it's also like you understand what it is how long it took uh and the fact that it's going across a body of water that could be walked around you're kind of like this is also kind of a flex by whatever culture <laughs> built yeah. it you know like it's really it's really cool man i, I really yeah. like it thanks yeah and and while i was adding the texture and stuff which like you said is is really there to give the impression of a shadow underneath those rings of stone around the outside of the towers um one of my my mods and another minecraft content creator liara pointed out that if, with all of the moss and stuff coming off of those areas and the kind of mud up around the outside it sort of looks like a high watermark from the past of this bridge and so in the fiction of the world now i'm imagining that the lake was actually like the water level was up around where the platform of the bridge is and the legs just extended all the way down to the lake bed that would have been way, way further down. And then as water has receded over time due to, you know, changes in the climate or, you know, some sort of catastrophic event that maybe ties it into Empire's Season 1, we end up with a, a different set of water lines on different points of the, of the, uh, of the pillars. And that kind of hints at the past of the whole area which is i think is a really cool detail and is the kind of thing that you can you know you don't have to necessarily have it as part of the the fiction of the world but i think it's it's a really nice way of imagining how this bridge has developed over time and that's the kind of thing that you could even push into the landscaping around the lake you know like as yeah. the, the landings of the bridge and it's like having different densities of foliage at different lines that correspond roughly with where the where the water lines are on the pillars could also help indicate that receding water line. Yeah. Uh, how 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 deep is that lake? Do you do you have a lot of blocks left to place underneath it? I think it's about twenty blocks ish. It's that's enough. Yeah, it's it's a decent <laughs> amount. Obviously, like towards each end, it gets shallower, but in the right. center, it's definitely around twenty blocks. There's there's a wow. lot of drowned spawning down there as well, especially in the area that's covered over by the bridge now and doesn't get light as often. So yeah, there's uh, there's some some difficulties. I have not yet got a trident out of all of the trident drowned that have attacked me, um, but I think it's only a matter of time at this stage. So you don't need trolls. You, you've got ground. <laughs> oh, no, no. Bridge. We've got plenty of trolls on this server, believe me. And that's something we're going to talk about in today's uh, main discussion, well, actually. But um, b b before we get into that, um, obviously, it's, it's your turn to tell me what you've been up to on the Citadel. So this past week, I uh, continued on with the challenging yellow terracotta tower that I, I started uh, the week before. And I think successfully... Uh, one, let it grow on me. I still feel like it's a big yellow banana in my medieval world, but I think that'll change when I start to add more colored builds around it so it's not the only mm -hmm. thing that's so bright. Um, but I've used a combination of barrels and something I've been meaning to do forever, which is use ladders as building blocks, as like overlay, because you can see b behind them. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I was able to use the ladders as kind of like a, a transition between the uh, wood 
structure supporting the tower as well as the barrels going into the terracotta so some of the terracotta kind of peeks through behind the ladder so it's not quite as drastic which is is successful i think uh i ended up only doing balcony on on one part of it uh, i put a little flower box in the back but the windows on the left and right whenever i added to them they just kind of felt like they took away from the height of the tower so i kept it pretty skinny and uh, overall i'm pretty pretty happy with it it uh it the ins the thing is that i find a little frustrating but also kind of like a nice kind of tip of the hat for me is you can really only see the cool supports on the back of the building because of where the tower is and that's going to be the garden for the flower shop so it will be a destination like it will be a cool place to be in and a space to look around in but when you walk by it on the street it was challenging to have it look like it was part of the roof from the front without mm -hmm. being just this yellow kind of like building stuck on top of of things um uh, I also did a lot of work inside to make sure that it felt like it was structurally sound and had a lot of rafters and cross beams and things. The um, the frustrating part was just not being able to complete the inside, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um, but the back garden has a wall. So some of these fancier houses actually have walled gardens, which is the first time I've done that in this this build for West Hill. And... I skipped over the flower shop because I didn't have the right materials for it and started working on this key building that has been um, kind of framed for a while, which is this tower house. And that was a lot of fun because it was one of the first buildings that I, when I framed it out, I on purpose like made it uncomfortably large. Like yeah. I just thought, how am I going to fill this? Because it's just the tower itself is something like, seven by seven or, or more and it's not very tall so it has like a, a, a battlement crown on it and it's got like a little lamppost on it now and it's it's connected on several sides with a, a multi-shaped roof uh, all of which is one one dwelling and uh, it was a lot of fun to connect the roof lines to choose the different building blocks uh, i ended up going out with um furnaces stacked as like supportive corner pillars because everything around is just so much stone mm -hmm. that I'm struggling now with having stone streets in Minecraft to using a lot of stone bricks in my builds and everything just kind of feeling kind of homogenous. So using the, the stacked furnaces I found was really useful to try and tie the deep slate roof, which is darker, to something a little bit more permanent, a little bit more robust and fancier. And this is the thing too that is helping with my kind of headcanon for this area is that I'm using things that they still look sort of medieval, but they also can be a little bit fancier in this area because these people are supposed to have more money and more mm -hmm. power and more space and stuff. Um, so that was really fun to get together. Uh, it's unfortunately one of those builds that's hard to take screenshots of because I didn't cut down any of the natural trees outside of maybe one that was like growing up through the middle of the tower when I first put it there. Uh, but everything else in like the, the backyard or the back garden, I didn't cut down the trees, which was challenging because you can't see what you're doing to work around them. Uh, and uh, then to take screenshots later, they basically cover up all the work that I did in the back garden, which I thought looked really good. Uh, challenging because this is the part where my meadows or my not meadows my plains biome transitions into a taiga biome mm -hmm. and i like the look like once we're in the taiga biome it's fine but all of my go-to methods of landscaping with the moss blocks and mars carpet and mang not mangrove um uh, azalea trees goes out the window because they look real weird on top of mint colored grass they don't match at all uh however the new mangrove bushes and trees 
uh, leaf blocks, they change. Mm -hmm. They change with biomes now. So I was able to use the uh, mangrove leaf blocks for bushes um, because you can always use a, a spruce tree brush, but unfortunately with so many spruce trees, the low bushes don't really look much like they don't differentiate them, differentiate themselves enough from the tree blocks. Yeah, yeah, they look so, like the same species, really obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so using the very dense uh, texture for the uh, mangrove leaves as bushes worked out very well, along with like things that are more natural to taiga, like grass and podzol and uh, rooted dirt. Actually, looks pretty good. And what was the other thing that I used? Oh, um, bush, berry bushes. I, I don't decorate with berry bushes very often, but I find that they're in the right environment. They're a lot more subtle than say like a poppy or a rose bush. Mm -hmm. They tend to be quite bright. So uh, it all came together pretty nicely. Um, the frustrating part with all of this was um, having the time to complete the interiors, but not being able to because my data pack for tables and chairs, for whatever reason, I tried to update it uh, and and have it working with 119 and it's just not working right. right. Uh, chairs are displaying wrong. They've got like a saddle texture hovering above them. Uh, or in particular, this new case, I can't place any of the blocks. I can craft them. But as soon as I place the chair, quote unquote chair in the world, it shows as what it really is, which is a trap door. Right. And yeah. the, I can't remember the type of data, but uh, Chuck Chuck, the author of the data pack is using a certain specific kind of data where you just assign a data number that's so high that Minecraft would never use it. You know, like if, if Minecraft has a data point for a, a, a trap door that might be like, you know, open, shut, upside down, right side up, like that kind of stuff. You got maybe six or 12 data points. So if you take the data point and say, okay, we'll assign data point 237, just random number out there and say, if it you know gets to 237, make it look like a chair. And that's how the data pack works essentially. I hope I'm getting that right. He, he mm -hmm. explained it to me roughly when I first started using it. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not working right now. And I thought it was, you know, player error. I, I had updated all of our data packs and I thought maybe I did like a pretty common mistake, which is like an, a folder nesting issue where like you zip the wrong thing and it just doesn't work. Yeah. So I tested a bunch of stuff and it's not working. So unfortunately, I went through and uh, I kind of had to roughly put like blocks for tables. I had to put stair blocks for potential chairs around and I'm not going to lie, man, my heart sunk. Like, I'm just like, I am so used to this data pack that I forget sometimes that it's not vanilla Minecraft. Yeah. And yeah. so that, yeah, that brought me to a question I wanted to ask you, like, and you've got more Minecraft experience and more modded experience than I do. Has there ever been something that you've come across in a game, especially if it's like on a tweaked server or uh, a specific version of the, of Minecraft that you're playing where there's just something that's not a big modded feature. I'm not talking about having like some crazy, you know, amazing weapon or things like that. But if there is, it, has there any been a subtle tweak that people have made to Minecraft that you just get so used to that when you go and you do like strict vanilla, like you do on, on the survival guide where you really miss it, like you really feel to the point where you almost forgot that it wasn't vanilla. I mean, for me, that's bundles now. <laughs> like, oh, we have bundles oh, as, right. a, yeah. as a data pack on Empires, but I don't have the crafting recipe for them in Survival Guide because that's not like it's it's not implemented in in Java for real yet. So I think that's really the most recent example of having gone back to the Survival Guide world after playing a little bit in Empires and being like, "Where's the bundle in my adventure?" Oh wait, no, they don't exist. <laughs> like, you're not. Yeah. They're verboten. You're not allowed them. So like, yeah, I I think that I I can't think of many other examples from. Um, from 
modded or, or any other little tweaks and stuff that I found because I don't tend to play that kind of stuff all that much, you know? But that's, yeah, typically why I avoid doing too much heavy data pack stuff elsewhere is just because you get so used to them that you've really missed them when they're gone. And I feel like if it's something as fundamental as furniture and you've been building with Chuck Chuck's tables and chairs since you've been doing stuff in West Hill and, and, and further back than that even, I think, it, yeah. yeah, it's a real shame. Like it, it feels like it's missing once it's missing, right? Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that because it's the only it's the only really big, I want to say it's the only data pack that we run that really feels modded, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of the the other ones that I noticed right away was, uh, and this was a simple uh, again user mistake. I zipped the uh, the recipe data pack for the uh, stone cutter incorrectly, and was not able to use it for all my wood construction. Yeah, yeah. And all it does is save us a little bit of time of having to actually like do, like do the crafting design patterns for stairs and things like that. Um, and there's a slight buff to the ratio, like you get a couple more uh, trap doors per log yeah. uh, you get you can do something simple too like cra crafting trap doors you have to first make planks in the vanilla game but for this data pack you can put the log directly in the stone cutter and get any number of things out i think the only thing right, that we don't yeah. do is like fences and fence gates but doors trap doors stairs like and it's all adjusted because like within a log is four planks and so i just kind of did the math and and in some cases, like I said, there's a little bit of a of a benefit to the trapdoors, uh, just because again it's a server full of busy adults and we're saving ourselves a little bit of time. Um, but man, knowing how much of a pain in the butt mangrove wood is to to harvest, uh, not having that data pack working and having to craft mangrove wood stuff, I was like, mm -hmm. oh man, I yeah. I I'm I don't want to chew through my mangrove would too quickly here because with, I'll get a better bang for my buck with that little data pack and I know how much of a pain mangrove wood is to um, to harvest so so yeah that's that's the other one that I noticed but that, that's one that I I don't forget that it's not vanilla because I I think probably because I wrote it and like I not wrote it but like I used a tool to make it and it's just like I I I miss it when it's not there, but I understand that it's not part of the game. Where the yeah. tables and chairs, I totally took that for granted <laughs> for like the <laughs> yeah. longest time. Yeah, yeah. The longest time. So what do you say we get into some news? Let's do it. Minecraft Java Edition 119.1 pre-release 5 is out. This is the pre-release that includes the remaining fixes for a known exploit regarding player reported context and several improvements to chat preview. It also fixes some other crashes and bugs. With regards to the chat, when writing chat messages, the signing status of the displayed chat messages is shown with a colored indicator. The indicator will either appear to the left of the chat input field or to the left of the chat preview if chat preview is being used. The indicator will be green when the displayed message is signed. The indicator will be orange when chat preview is enabled and a preview is waiting to be signed. The background of chat preview will also display slightly faded when a preview is waiting to be signed. With regards to chat preview, we've added on send chat preview option for updating chat previews only when attempting to send a message. To confirm sending a message, a second hit of the enter slash return key is required. The previous on setting has been renamed to on modified. The on modified mode no longer displays previews of the message that has not been modified by the server. 
Chat preview is now enabled in single player and will display when using commands that have selector substitutions such as slash say. Preview hover events and click events are now highlighted with a solid background. Bug fixes and other minor details in the changelog can be found at minecraft.net, linked in our show notes. 1.19.10, the update that is arriving on Bedrock Edition, includes the Allay duplication feature. When an Allay hears a jukebox playing, it will dance. The jukebox stops playing, if or if the Allay gets too far away from the jukebox, it will stop dancing. If the Allay is given an amethyst shard while dancing, it will play a small amethyst sound, make a heart, and duplicate another Allay. After duplication, both Allays will have a five-minute cooldown before being able to duplicate again. Other changes in Bedrock 119.10 expanded the slash locate command to locate structure and locate biome. The trader llama now has its own spawn egg. Added the player's cause of death to the death screen. Music now included in the game files on iOS, so players no longer need to download the music pack from Marketplace. Added Bluetooth mouse and keyboard support on iOS. There are several other bug fixes, parity changes, and gameplay tweaks. Too many to list here, but you can find the full list over at minecraft.net, again, linked in our show notes. If you've been keeping track of the development of Minecraft Legends after its announcement earlier this year, then you'll be interested to tune in to youtube.com slash Minecraft, where they have the first dev diary for Minecraft Legends, titled Minecraft Legends Creating a New Game, in which Jens, Magnus, Kevin, and Nathan join Reese, Peter, and Lee from Blackbird Interactive, who Mojang is partnering with to make Minecraft Legends, to talk about how and why they're making a Minecraft strategy game, find out what makes Minecraft Legends different and what the story is about, and whether it's even true. That's over at youtube.com slash Minecraft. We'll have that linked in our show notes for you as well. So I'm not entirely sure about the language around on send and on modified in the chat player reporting feature mm -hmm. changes. Um, I mean, I find it even hard to read and, and parse. I, it reminded me of like when you and I talk about people explaining Redstone verbally yes. like yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I, I i find i find the way that they're parsing this especially on the blog post to be not the clearest form of communication i also find that like within the game having these kind of explanations come out in like hover text over the over the the options is also problematic for me and i i feel like there could be some time spent maybe making some of the names or phrases of these features to be, and pardon if this is not the right term to use, but it feels like programmer speak, mm -hmm. like on send and on modified. I, I feel like that needs to be a little bit more natural language with a natural language description. Yeah. And I understand it's still in development. So we're getting kind of like what the, the kind of the guts of it are in the descriptions right now. And I just, I feel like it would be clearer to a lot of people if they went with a little bit more, I would say layman's terms, but like not everyone is up on the computer lingo. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there that absolutely get it and understand it, but I feel like they could probably make it more accessible for, for those that don't, given the amount of people that play Minecraft. Yeah, if it's the kind of thing that's going to affect map makers, like if it's changes to command syntax and data tags and stuff, then that's the kind of language those folks are going to understand a lot easier. So in those cases, I think it's perfectly justified. But yeah, especially when it's changes to in-game chat and when it has any kind of pertinence to this chat reporting tool, I think people need to have it in plain language for them to understand 
why the changes are being made and what has been changed based on player feedback because there has been some of that stuff which i think the community has ended up ignoring because they're still mad about the fact that there's a chat reporting feature now so yeah it's it's tricky but i i don't want to say that mojang is doing that intentionally necessarily like they're not trying to obfuscate some of the details of this but at the same time they have to be a little bit cautious about how much information they put out there because there's a chance that people who don't want the chat reporting feature to be part of the game will try and write code around that like we've already seen people trying to mod stuff like that out of the game again so i'm yeah i i'm, I'm wondering if that's part of the reasoning behind it but Otherwise, I think a plain text version of a lot of this, or not, but I know plain text is more of like a, a programmer thing in itself, right? Uh, but like yeah. a, a, pl a plain language version of this would, would benefit a lot of people, I think. And I think, too, the other thing that they want to try to avoid is um, what we've all experienced with um, EULAs or license agreements or things that you have to check the box to say, yes, I've read this whole thing before I installed the software. Where everyone just like scrolls which, past it. <laughs> which most people don't, right? And it, and it's because a lot of the times they're jumbly legalese that yeah. no one really can parse when they read it at the time uh, or it's too long, um, which I'm not saying that justifies it. And we should all read them, but I know we don't. Yeah. Um, and uh and i'm a guilty as charged i'm not i'm not on a high horse here and and so i feel like to avoid that because what ends up potentially happening is that if the details around the chat reporting are so thick that people don't read them then when they agree to them because they have no choice and then something happens where they do get banned or it doesn't work the way that they thought or it's confusing to use and they start to complain about it <laughs> yeah then the excuse will be well you didn't read the whole instructions it's like well you wrote you might as well have written the instructions in greek you know so mm. i i feel like there's a there's a um a communication breakdown that i think that i hope will be avoided um yeah but you know we'll see you know like, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes um again i still think it's a good tool to have given the spirit behind it i just think that it's it's complicated to implement Yes, no, it's, absolutely it's it is. The and, best and way I can say, yeah. Th that's the reason we're back in pre-release 5 for this instead of it already having been rolled out a couple of weeks ago. Um, aside from that, though, Bedrock Edition is now on 119.1, effectively, and every so often I'm reminded of a Java feature I take for granted, much like you in the Tables and Chairs data pack, just not being present on Bedrock at all, or only having arrived recently. Like, it, there's some obvious ones, like offhand support and spectator mode and stuff, but... It never occurred to me until reading it in this changelog that the death screen on Bedrock just says you died without telling you how you died, like the one on Java does. And that that always takes me by surprise, because I've played Bedrock recently enough that I've experienced that, but it is kind of funny that it never displays the death message that everybody else gets in the chat. And now, as of 119.1, it does. You know, <laughs> 11 update, 11 years into this game's history, maybe not on Bedrock, but still, it it's actually telling you what you died from if that was at all unclear. Yeah, I mean, you know, parody is always good. I think that that's um, always a good step in, in the right direction. I'm excited for Alaze to finally have the duplication thing on yes. Java because I'd like to try and take advantage. And right now the effort to you know herd them and move them and all that kind of stuff just seems a little bit outside of what i want to expend compared to if i could just get one and then eventually start to to duplicate it because i have access to amethyst shards like i've got lots so that's mm -hmm. not going to be an issue um i do find that the description and the time delay you know like the five minute cooldown before each can be duplicated again is um it feels pretty solid because just like an elf just like your your starter sugarcane farm you only need one <laughs> 
and then after it it's grown you have two three total yeah and then after those are done then you get like eight you know so like or no six you get six to plant so like i feel like once you have one allay with a little patience give yourself 20 minutes you're going to have several yeah. um potentially uh and i think that that will that's a good kind of like balance between time invested versus advantage out of the game i think it, it's also a mechanical reason to use a jukebox which we don't really have otherwise aside from mm -hmm. they, they've got comparator interactions but then so does a lot of stuff but this is one of the first reasons to really create a jukebox other than for your own entertainment which i think is great um, and we have had reports from the Bedrock players in our community that seem to indicate that, well, LA duplication is now possible. LA's are still disappearing, even if they're leashed to a fence post. I think they're either breaking their leashes or there's still some issues with entities despawning on Bedrock Edition. So it's a good thing that you can duplicate them now because they may occasionally disappear. But hopefully right. those are all just bugs that are going to get nipped in the bud sooner or later anyway. I guess the challenge there is that if one of your LAs disappears, if you duplicate and replace it, then you have to reprogram it with like whatever item block you it was it holding. To harvest. Yeah. yeah, so that that's gonna be not like game breaking, but kind of annoying, I think, for players when they are using them for a specific specific thing. Yeah. Speaking of LAs, though, we are getting a different look at them in the Minecraft Legends trailer. Um, there's a bit more gameplay footage in it, but it's a lot more talking heads uh, seeing the team behind it. And I think that's good. I think it's always nice to put some names and faces to a project like this. And also, I think for some players to get some reassurance that these aren't just people who've been poached off the Java Minecraft team who could be working on Java Minecraft, which always seems to be the weird accusation that comes up of like, these people could have been working on the Minecraft that I want to play instead of developing a new game that i don't know tons of other people will probably want to play um and on repeat viewings of gameplay footage that we've seen so far i'm still not 100 percent sold on the art style i think it's it's still very different from vanilla minecraft and minecraft dungeons it has a different kind of set of textures it's more of a cell shaded look to it with black outlines around the character and around some of the blocks and stuff so i'm still getting used to seeing what minecraft legends looks like at least in this you know demo footage that we're seeing it may look a little different when it launches but in the meantime i'm interested in the mechanics of this game i think we're seeing a few more of them and it's nice to hear a bit of the the early philosophy behind why minecraft legends is the kind of game that it is so really excited to see more of it and i recommend checking out that video if folks have the time i agree i i think that we obviously have more coming and and i'll save any kind of like full judgment you know well before even playing it but but in terms of where how i feel right now i'm getting a lot of mobile game vibes in yeah. the same way that you're kind of like unsure about this art style uh i i play borderlands so like i i'm used to cell shaded stuff i i'm okay with it uh i'm more intrigued by the models i find some of the models that we're seeing in the in the gameplay footage to be really intriguing uh the way that they do flowers in particular is really cool uh, they have like little blocky middles like they're 3d rendered flowers they're not little yeah. sprites like pixel flat planes uh so to speak so that that i thought was um was neat to see little interactive things that we saw in minecraft dungeons as well like when you walk through the little glowy plants in minecraft dungeons and they move and they make a noise um when the player in these um gameplay footage pieces is galloping on a horse through flower fields the flowers are kind of like moving aside as if they're being yeah. trampled by the like horse bending like that out of the way stuff. yeah yeah like that kind of stuff is is interesting in that these things are they move but they don't necessarily break that i've seen uh unless you build something um i noticed that the la's are like the little building sprites like when you go and you place a 
tower structure, which you can do apparently. Um, and then it's built block by block, but there's little lays flying around doing an animation. A lot of it reminds me of um, Ages of Empires, right? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. where you've got, you know, you go to build something and it doesn't just plop down immediately. You see a bunch of little workers walk over and they start yeah, to yeah. Like, build scaffolding and it kind of comes together. Specific units go over there and they build the stuff. And it looks like from what I can discern, the yellow allays are the ones that do the construction and the blue allays are the ones that gather for you. So the color may not necessarily even be a different mob it may just be that the LA is in like a different mode and it's it's using it a little bit more like a um not like a gameplay cursor or something but something like that where it, like it changes based on its functionality yeah there seems to be a lot like a lot of mysterious function for me like i mean there is a point where these cute little cubert looking porcupine mobs were shooting spines at a tower and it was red, so it looked like an evil tower, but it wasn't doing anything in return. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I don't, I'm not sure what the gameplay is there. There's still a lot of like, I'm not exactly sure. I'm hoping it doesn't turn into like tower defense stuff or like, again, stuff that you see so much of on mobile um, because I don't know how engaging that would be. Uh, I feel like they spent a lot of time talking about the myth and the legend and the fact that this is meant to be as much make-believe in a bedtime story as it is potentially like the history of the Minecraft world. Yeah. Um, it, and then they said it at least three times in the course of the, of the video. And I feel like they're really trying to separate themselves from the constant conversation of, well, that's really cool. Can we have that in Minecraft? You know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at these flowers going like, those would be cool. Uh, I'm looking at the way that I'm looking mostly at. Um, and I can't, I don't know whether this is, some of it is gameplay animation, but a lot of it I find is trailer animation. And they cut so fast between the two that unless you're really paying attention, it's hard to kind of discern at first. Um, but the trailers and the 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 um, what's the the cinematics they don't have cell shaded. They they're a little bit more 3D CG feeling yeah. compared to the game. Um, but the animation is just so well done that it had me thinking like god forget new stuff i would just like the piglins in minecraft to run around as cute as the piglins in <laughs> yeah. in legends like the way that they bounce and like they have their crossbows up in the air specifically the baby piglins they just remind me of like those warner brother cartoons like the bugs bunny and tweety stuff where you'd have like this really aggressive little character like there's a i can't remember what i think it's a mongoose he's always trying to eat um foghorn leghorn and he's oh, just yeah. he's adorable and he's like a foot tall but he's a menace and i just like that combination of like this is a cute little pig that bounces through the flowers but it's got a crossbow aimed at your head <laughs> you know, yeah like yeah it's, yeah it's it's got a cool a cool combination so there's things about the game that i i really like the look of um i'm just i'm very curious to see what the gameplay is going to be like because right now we're not getting much we don't even have a gui right we yeah. don't even know what that looks like so yeah 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 so I, I expect that's still being worked on it feels like one of the the elements that's going to arrive later and hopefully yeah be be decent i i've seen a lot of internet memes about people designing uis as though they're designed for like a ubisoft game and there's just like tons of notifications and different stuff popping up on the screen all <laughs> over the place and it's like it's so crowded like yeah so i i, I get the sense that they'll they'll want to go with a, a level of like minimalism that we expect from minecraft but still have it be like accessible because there's there's so many different things that it seems like you can do in this game so yeah like like you looking forward to seeing more but uh for the moment i'm i'm happy just sticking with vanilla minecraft and waiting for something new 
Speaking of some new things, you want to check some email? Yes, let's do that. Uh, the first one comes in from Toast and Blocks, and if you'd like to email the show, the email address, as usual, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, the subject of Toast and Blocks email is new copper uses. Hey, Johnny and Joel. Was just thinking about how Johnny said it was sad copper didn't have many other uses than building a spyglass and a lightning rod, if you remember it exists. Well, in ancient times, copper was used to build things like lamps and bells. It might be nice to have an alternate lantern that uses copper to craft instead of iron. A copper lantern would also go better in places with a lot of brown. Bells are a pain to make in Minecraft. If you want a lot of bells, you either ransack all the villages for thousands of blocks or make an emerald farm and mass trade them. I think bells should have a crafting recipe, but not one you can overutilize to farm bells. Would love to hear your thoughts. Toast and Blocks died from the constant ringing of bells. Ding dong, the toast is dead. <laughs> the toast is done, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe maybe it's the done chime. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. You're you're ready. Yeah, you're a golden brown. Um, I think copper lanterns is a great idea, especially if they either allow the player to control the light level emitted or at the very least, admit a different light level than the soul fire lanterns and the regular lanterns, like sure, somewhere yeah. in between. You know, soul fire is what, three or five? I think it's three. I think it's more uh, than then, that. I think, I think soul, soul fire is up around the tens, I think. And then, is it really that much? Yeah, yeah. regular lanterns are 15. Even like soul okay. fire torches, I think, uh, emit around 10. It's, uh, the, the reason I remember it is because it's just like, it's not quite light enough for snow layers to melt and snow, snow layers melt around 11 so i think it's around there uh, okay so either way um having a dimmer light source for me would be would be the, the checkbox like how do you create a copper lantern um with a function that gives player a reason beyond just a different color um to to use it and and i think that um that having a, a even i guess a lower light level than uh a soul lantern would be good because I've used soul lanterns where I want a dimmer light, but I don't want a blue light. You know, like I'd, I'd much prefer a regular, you know, lamp colored uh, light source. Um, now, I know that lanterns take nuggets to craft and copper nuggets don't exist in the game. So I think copper ingots would be fine for a copper lantern. It'd be a little bit more expensive, but if you get more functionality out of it, that's a good trade off. You, you also uh, get you a lot more copper from mining it as well. So it kind of balance yeah. out in that way. Yeah. The other thing too is that, you know, um, there's the crafting idea of creating a lantern and then just combining that crafted lantern with an ingot to make a copper lantern sure. uh, yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the same way that you use netherite ingots to upgrade your tools. Uh, so think of it more like a copper upgrade to lantern rather than building a lantern from scratch. Um, we've, we've had copper ideas come up on the show before, so I'll just, I'll list them quick without getting into too, too much detail, but things like copper pipes, copper tubes, uh, have been talked about before copper funnels maybe i think a copper hopper would be fun not only because it rhymes <laughs> yeah i was uh, gonna say just for the sound of the name just alone. For the sound of it right um knowing minecraft they'd call it hopper with copper but we'll not go down that road <laughs> uh but I, i'm not sure what it would do like maybe it's just faster like that's this is the thing like i think well that's a cool idea for it but like what what advantage does that give the player maybe copper hoppers can go up you know like maybe they're not a hopper shape maybe they're more like a um, a diamond shape where they've got six entry points and exit points. I don't know. Um, things like that could be kind of fun. Uh, I think insulating redstone with copper for copper wiring, making expensive underwater wiring is kind of an, a common thought. Um, I, I like the idea of copper statues because copper was used or I got copper would be, I guess, part of copper is part of the bronze alloy, right? That's how that 
I think yeah. so. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, just thinking about how copper oxidizes in Minecraft, having uh, copper statues that could then oxidize, depending on what your preference is, uh, could be kind of fun, especially if like maybe they function as scarecrows. So if you make a copper creeper, you know, you could maybe use that instead of a cat to defer creepers um, from your base. I don't know. Um, and this isn't high on any kind of player need list, but the other common thing that copper is used for in the real world is cookware. So if Minecraft ever wanted to expand the food production in the game, then having copper pots, copper pans, uh, that kind of stuff could be kind of fun. That's more of a modded kind of pullover, I think, from my experience. But but it's it's there. It's an idea that could be used for copper. That's when we all have to swap our... Um furnaces for induction hobs <laughs> and get get into <laughs> get into a, a slightly better way of cooking um i think yeah part of the frustration of copper i think this comes from both the developers and from players is that they don't really want it to do something we can already do and the spyglass and the lightning rod were two sort of more out there ideas obviously people were like well the spyglass isn't necessary because we already have optifine zoom but the lightning rod at least felt like it had some newer functionality to players who were used to that kind of gameplay and then the rest of what it did was a building block which is again like there are plenty of building blocks out there but it provides something new in terms of color palette so i think the difficulty really if you have the copper lantern as an idea is that it has to do something different from the existing lanterns that we have and so i agree with your idea of making it a different or controllable light level because that's something that we may not have already um and the other thing about crafting anything with copper is you have to answer the question of does it age because the copper blocks age the lightning rod doesn't but you can argue that that's kind of subject to the mechanic where lightning strips the age off of copper anyway so if something's getting struck by lightning regularly it's going to be constantly the kind of raw copper color um and so you know the question needs to be asked for anything that is a placeable copper block or copper item in minecraft that can be put down in the world should it age and then if it has functionality should the functionality age with it i think one of the really interesting things that would have come out of the copper golem being voted in at the minecraft live mob vote was that it was also going to introduce copper buttons and they said that the copper golem was going to age so that would eventually become a copper statue like one of the ones you suggested um and would the buttons age as well and that was my thinking was like if we end up with copper buttons and they have different ages does that mean different redstone pulse lengths like that starts to introduce some more ideas so i think whenever we introduce anything new with copper i think the potential is there for the age mechanic to play a greater role in what it's possible to do whereas with bells I feel like maybe considering we're getting all of these different kind of rings of goat horn now, maybe if you have a copper vet, a copper bell and it ages, it makes a different sound effect the older the bell is. And if you go like full on, you know, Liberty Bell sort of style thing where it's it's so aged, um, yeah, who knows? Like it'll make a very different kind of ringing noise to a, a sharp, crisp, clear, fresh new copper bell. Copper was traditionally used in musical instruments too, and we saw them kind of hint at that with like the copper goat horns that just yeah, mm -hmm. that did that didn't make it all the way to the game. So like, there's still potential there for for stuff like that. Even creating like a copper, you know, megaphone or um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's what were those old record players that had like the gramophone? Is the gramophone? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So with like the, a so like a horn. copper. <laughs> Yeah, like a copper gramophone kind of top to your jukebox to maybe extend the range, which means that your allays would be affected 
you know, at a greater range by sounds and things oh, like that. Oh, there you I go. I don't know. Yeah. You know, like there could be something like that could be kind of fun. Uh, we, one thing that, that has come up before as well that we didn't touch on here, which we won't go down, is just like, you know, copper armor and how it ends up being like redundant because people just move so quickly to the other factors of armor. Yeah. Uh, that does not mean I don't want to wing a zombie with a copper frying pan. Like, <laughs> yes. That with the sound design in Minecraft in 2022 as it is, like I would love to have that cartoon wang <laughs> when you're defending yourself with your with your honed frying pan like you t it's a it's a um sam lord of the rings fantasy <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. i just it's such a, a a cool idea to incorporate cookware as also weaponry i just think it'd be pretty funny yeah there's a uh, a joke item in tinker's construct which is a battle sign where you can craft a sign out of different types of material and use it for damage and uh, I, I don't think it does a huge amount of damage, but it's still like, I think it's a reference to Zisto, who's a, a Minecraft YouTuber from back in the day on Minecraft. And yeah, I think it, it's a, it's a, it's a neat way of putting the, the kind of like the jokey frying pan kind of thing in, but making it more uniquely Minecraft already. Yeah. Can you write on the signs? Because I think it'd be hilarious to have like, you suck written on the sign before you start smacking bad guys. With it. <laughs> I mean, you, you can place it. I don't know if you can then like pick it up and have it still have the stuff written on it. I'm not right. certain. I guess you could just name it with a name tag and just like, ha or uh, yeah, on an yeah. anvil and just, uh, and, and have it go that way. But yeah, for sure. Next email comes in from Big Hippopotamus. Comfort versus challenge. Dear Joel and Picks, first off, uh, I'd like to thank you for the great podcast. It's always great to listen uh, as I do things in Minecraft. Thanks very much. I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, I have a world where I have set up villagers early on, and since then, I have the best gear possible and practically any resource I want at my fingertips. This made me think about how some things in Minecraft are very simple to set up and yet are, in my opinion, extremely overpowered. Villagers, raid farms, iron farms, etc. My question for you guys is how to navigate the fact that we need resources, but building an overpowered farm makes the resources overabundant, and building a less effective farm can many times take the same effort as the OP farm. Thanks again for the great show. Big Hippo's PC crashed because his farms lagged out his game. <laughs> well, you've got to be very overproductive for that to happen, so well played. Um... I've had my iron farm in survival guide turned off for a while because it's built into spawn chunks, it would run around the clock, and I don't need that much iron. Even though I'm building technological stuff, I'm building hopper arrays for sorting systems and that kind of stuff, still don't need that much iron for a single player world. So, like, it's, it's a tricky balance. And I think a lot of these mechanics often end up having to be simple by necessity. Because that way it's easier for casual players to grasp them, and in the case of stuff like iron golems being spawned in to protect villagers, which is really what they were designed to do in the first place, that mechanic becomes very easily exploitable once you know about it. And I think the problem here is not necessarily Mojang's problem to solve, it's down to the individual's playstyle. I think the community is always going to try and make the most efficient farm designs possible, and that can result in a bunch of exploits which may or may not get patched, but I think regardless of what the mechanics are, we're all always looking to try and improve resources and how we gather them, and it's up to individual players at that point to acknowledge that you don't always need the most overpowered farm, and if more effort has to be put in to make the farm worse, then that's entirely up to you. It means it's more balanced for your gameplay at that stage. So yeah, I'm I'm not entirely convinced that it's necessarily like 
something that needs nerfing on Mojang's side because then people are just going to complain because we've gone from having something that's good to having something that's worse. <laughs> and I don't know if that's necessarily the fix. Um, one option I will recommend is building farms in an area you don't visit often. So if you're building an iron farm, don't build it in the spawn chunks. Build it, you know, maybe outside of the render distance of your main base. And then challenge yourself not to afk at that farm so you give yourself a reason to visit it regularly if you want some iron you've got to be willing to hang around that area for a while build up the area like do something around there and help the farm maybe feel more incorporated into its surroundings or at the very least give yourself a project there that's going to allow you to sit and accumulate those resources and then go away again once you've got that much iron and then, you know, you go back there every so often to add another building when you want to otherwise be AFKing for iron. You turn it into gameplay instead of removing the gameplay from it by just standing still while the thing passively generates iron for you. And that way it can end up being a little bit more balanced with what you want to do in day-to-day -day gameplay. We have the opposite problem on the Citadel. Uh, we created Spawn Town with all of our different, you know, Dartmouth Meadows farms that are community-based and... Um, villagers harvesting crops and trees growing naturally that you don't have to bone meal. You just have to make sure you plant the saplings before you leave. And so there's always something to chop down. There's always something to harvest, that kind of thing. Everybody's now moved on. So no one hangs out and loads the chunks at Dartmouth Meadows. And so when you go back looking for wheat and you go to the greenhouse, there's like two items of wheat. And you're like, where's all mm -hmm. the wheat? And it's because the farm hasn't been going long enough to like fill itself up to start filling up the greenhouse again after someone like me needed to get a whole bunch of wheat to plant a field, right? That just hasn't been replenished. And so I like that idea. Like I think that it's a sandbox game. And so you have to like sometimes make your own rules um, to answer the abundance issue. It's kind of, I think it's on the players. One thing that I find uh, that I've learned is um, to start building farms small. And so you want sugarcane, you build a manual sugarcane farm. At some point in your gameplay, you're going to need more sugarcane or you're going to just get really tired of harvesting it manually. That to me is the indication, okay, make an automatic farm. Um, but then you just say, oh, well, how much sugarcane do I want? And that's, I think that's a player choice. Like, do you want to have to constantly go to this farm and empty it out? Or do you want to just take the time build a giant sugarcane farm and never have to worry about it again. And I think there are some resources in the game that people find very tedious to collect, mm -hmm. at which point they build, you know, pumpkin and melon farms or or sugarcane farms, or they just they just don't want to worry about it. But I think that that ties into some of the other things that are OP. If you are trading hand harvested vegetables with farmer villagers, it's not OP because you can't get enough to trade the villagers out to the point where you're getting tons and tons and tons of things, right? If you have an ill mango melon farm, then yeah, you know, you're mm -hmm. going to be able to max out your villagers because you're going to have melons coming out of your ears. As weird as that sounds. Uh, like, I feel like that's, that's kind of like this double-edged sort of like some of the things that are in the game are only OP because there's other aspects of the game that players are choosing to go op with where you don't have to right yeah yeah and i think that's where like when you have a, a lot of resources at your disposal that th that can then be traded for anything else in the game well you've made yourself rich to the point where you know it, it, harvesting blocks isn't an issue right 
Yeah, there's no way you can balance that as well. Like, if for mm. a start, something has to be balanced for a casual user and a power user in both single player and multiplayer. And I'm like, how do you do that? You just can't. Um, I think it's it's very, very tricky to, at least. And I feel like there's no real way to do that unless you somehow introduce, like, a quality mechanic where the villagers are more interested in buying artisan hand-farmed crops than they are something that's been pushed by a piston at some stage and that involves like a lot of extra data that you've got to add into stuff so yeah i think i think the thing is for me these farms are always going to be a means to an end if it allows me to get on with building something unique more quickly i don't mind the quick and easy iron farms yeah. if it means that mm -hmm. i can set up a storage system for all of my blocks and then i get to take those blocks wherever i want to and go and build with them then that's the point but I think if you're playing Minecraft just to farm all of this stuff and you don't have an end goal in mind for what you're doing with all of it, then that's the point at which you start to think, well, I've got all of this stuff, but then what do I do with it? What's the point of having it accumulate this fast? When actually the point of having it accumulate this fast is that you go out and you do something with it. I've, st I've, I've decided that I need to start a tradition of actually using all of the blocks that I'm farming in a more passive sense. Like, once I've made a stone generator, I better have some ideas in mind for what I'm going to do with that stone instead of just having it take up my storage system constantly. Uh, so, yeah, that that's really the, the key, is balance some of the stuff that's making you super-powered with building some stuff that justifies you having those resources in the first place. I think sometimes that uh, single-player worlds in particular, I think we hear a lot in our inbox of people having trouble setting these boundaries for the you know for themselves yeah um so maybe start a small smp you know it's remarkable what changes about your gameplay when you are held accountable by other players because the five of you have agreed to not build on the nether roof or you've agreed to you know use a certain thing as currency or like whatever it is that you've decided to you know engage with in you know on the server uh, one thing that we don't do on the citadel in addition to the nether roof is that we don't do tnt if you want to do a lot of exploding, you have to collect a lot of sand and a lot of gunpowder. You know, like that's just, it's something we just don't feel is the right form of gameplay. And not, again, not against anybody else that does it. It's just for the five of us, that's just what we've implemented. And it it's not a huge change, but it does take out a lot of the super efficiency of, of certain things. You know, I know early on in this podcast, you and I talked about like the floating mob farm up in the air and how ugly they are, you know, and I remember you turned, I think one of your farms into a, an air balloon, like a, a yeah. hot air balloon mm -hmm. uh, to help it be aesthetic. So you turned it into a project for yourself. And I mean, I've not done any of those standard tower mob farms because I just think they're ugly and I just can't think of anything cool to put around it you know, yeah like to, that would that would then hide it you know a little bit different now that we've got mountains that stretch into the sky like there's a potential there for all kinds of things but i think that you know player implemented you know rules or you know like if you're not the best at implementing those those things for yourself in your single player rule in world maybe look for a data pack that like slows crop growth or restricts villager trades you know changes them to something to be not, maybe it's one-to-one -one, you know or um maybe you know, if you're going to be trading with villagers, don't turn them into zombies and back again. So everything is only one emerald, you know, like just that kind of a thing could could help balance out those mechanics. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that some of this stuff relates to 
you know the balance of multiplayer stuff because that's really what we wanted to talk about in our main discussion this week we were talking about what makes a healthy minecraft smp culture in a kind of sharing versus shenanigans kind of way and i've been thinking about this a lot recently because people often ask while i'm streaming from empires smp like what i'm trading with other players and do i have plans to prank everybody and this is something that a lot of people take for granted as part of youtube and twitch smp culture now but I'm kind of curious what this looks like from the outside. So we have, you know, a lot of the times people start Minecraft servers to cooperate and build big stuff together in that very Hermitcraft sort of way. Um, but along with that comes a desire to prank your server mates. And I thought it'd be fun to have a discussion about where we draw the line. And it doesn't just have to be about pranks either. At what point does generosity also end up crossing a line? Um, a streamer friend of mine, Boz, who plays on the 8-Bit Community server, often says on stream that he doesn't like getting gifts from people. Like, people will bring him stuff just because, oh, I had a spare elytra, do you want one? And he goes, no, because, you know, I, I feel like that's denying me the fun of going out and getting it myself, or the, the effort that's required for the reward of having an elytra and being able to fly around for the first time. So... Where do you draw the line there? If people gift you diamond armor and elytra as soon as you join the server or when you yeah, unfortunately die and lose your equipment, is that helpful or is that basically cutting you off from a whole part of the game involved in getting geared up again? So the whole part of generosity and getting geared up is something that I can speak to. Uh, we have a lot of helpful friends on the Citadel. Uh, I've had cosmic drop off a shulker box full of like logs for example for the medieval build that i'm doing when she's noticed that i'm running low on stream um and i i don't you know refute that i'm just like yes thank you because i don't want to spend three hours on or off stream harvesting logs and i don't necessarily know that that she spent that time either i think it's just kind of stuff that over five years on the server people have just accumulated a lot of stuff that is just sitting around. And so when you've got chests upon chests of things um, like deep slate or whatever that you've mined out stone for me, like if anybody ever said on the server, Joel, do you have any stone? Like, my gosh, do you, do you know how much of the swamp that I dug out? Like, yes, <laughs> I have tons that people can have. And for us, it's that there's not an immediate need for reciprocation, but it happens down the line sooner or later maybe someone dies and they need new equipment or uh maybe it's a it's a, a even better situation where you know i'll use cosmic again as an example she wanted an automatic flower farm so not only did i get to break from the medieval area go and build a really cool redstone build in her area to make a flower farm i learned how to make a flower farm it was a great creative thing for me and she now has unlimited flowers <laughs> as long mm -hmm. as she has bone meal and so like that kind of stuff that wasn't a, I'll give you logs if you build me a flower farm. It was just, you know, a couple months of like every once in a while, I'll get a little gift box and stream. And then when it came time to like, do you think you could maybe help me out with a flower farm? I'm just like 100%. Yes, I can. Thinking about all the different, you know, materials that you've helped me out with, you know, uh, live on stream. Because I think it helps, you know, with most of us being content creators on the Citadel, it helps generate that content when you don't have to take time to go mine stuff. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's nice when we have that kind of trade. Now on the flip side, uh, I do know what it feels like when someone like offers to like replenish your gear or, or give you a thing when you first logged in. And in some ways, yes, I'm just like, yes, I'd love to have an Elytra because like when I was w playing on Realm of Vast and, and it was such a big established server and people had already spent so much time on it. I just wanted to be able to fly around and build. I didn't necessarily need to do the initial gameplay going forward. 
on the flip side, back in my World of Warcraft days, uh, I joined a group of friends that had a small raid group. It was a new group to me. Uh, I had had some time away from my from uh, World of Warcraft, and I was coming back in, and I was playing through the levels, and I wasn't quite to gear for where they wanted for raiding. And so just for regular leveling, like one of the team um, members gave me like this really OP sword and some armor. And it basically made me almost invulnerable. Like I was one-shotting everything in the area. But that also affected my gameplay experience because certain things in World of Warcraft, if you go into a zone that you are out-leveled for, um, you very quickly can't go very far because things just own you. You know, the mobs just kill you right away. It makes it impossible and impassable. And for me, that wasn't the case. I was able to go and go into these areas and go like, oh, this looks cool and scary. Let's go check this out. And then I was getting bits of story out of order because the game design was like you had to complete and get to a certain level before you could then enter into these new quests. Right, and I was yeah. then encountering quests and stories that I wasn't ready for, but I had the OP gear that someone else had given me. So I and I and I didn't like the removal of the challenge. I don't necessarily I didn't want to beat my head against the wall in a grind fest to get up to where everybody was, but I definitely didn't want to be just teleported to, you know, here you are brand new. Um, it's tough. Like it's a hard thing because Warcraft even had that um, mechanic where like you could start or invite a new player and they would immediately get like a level 60 character mm -hmm. because yeah. it would take too long for your new friend of the game to start from level one and get all the way up to your end game where all of your friends are. Right. So they would say, OK, well, you can go do your own leveling on another character. But to raid with us, here's a free 60 level character. So, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of encourage new players. So it's 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 hard. You kind of have to figure out where it is that you land as far as the gifts go. I, for one, at this stage in a five-year-old server, if I died in lava and lost everything, I would love a player to drop me some Elytra and some replacement <laughs> gear. Like I would, I would not have a problem with that specifically because like I have all the means to do it. It just takes time. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's that random, like I have to find all the enchantments again. I have diamonds coming out my ears. It's not that that's not a problem. Um, the only thing I think I would be short on is like, I don't think I have any other elytra and I don't think I have any other netherite. So that would be the only thing that I have to go grind and get, but. Yeah, like I, I think it, it also varies depending on if this is a, a world that you've been in for like like you five years at this point, or if it's something like Empires where we've only just started season two, the server's been around for about a month, and yes, people have gone end raiding and gotten themselves six or seven Elytra, but they're not just dishing those out to everybody in the process, they're kind of yes. being a bit more considered about it, and they're also having trouble getting hold of mending books at that stage, so they're not going to be able to stick on breaking and mending on every single one and stick to one Elytra the entire time. So I think it's, yeah, it, it, it balances itself out kind of naturally, and obviously if you're joining a server that's a couple of years in, at that point then people A, have the stuff to give you for free, but B, you know, are going to freely give it to people just so they can get up to speed with where everybody else is and everyone can go and raid an ancient city tomorrow. <laughs> but that may not be the progression that everybody wants. So I think that's down to the individual. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about pranks because I have some experience with that recently and I know you're not really the pranks kind of guy. Like, I don't, I don't see that being the average stream content from you on, on the Citadel. Um, so, like, obviously in any server, communication is key. Um, often people will have like an opt-in prank culture or if you're joining a server there will at least be some kind of understanding that pranks are okay if you're going to be playing on this server for a certain length of time. 
the important thing is just to make sure everyone's okay with what you're doing and ideally discuss it before doing it, not to give away the prank entirely but just to say like you know if i build something at your base right now would this be a good time and you can be as vague as that or even vaguer or even just ask somebody else who's basing near that person and it's helpful but like the usual rules of thumb to me when it comes to having a healthy smp culture is would i be okay with this happening to me and am i happy to help the victim of the prank repair or clean up if it's destructive or intrusive like even building something at somebody else's base i'm like i would be more than willing to come and tear that down for you again if that right you know if if, if having all of this obsidian around or whatever is just going to be a massive pain for you and you don't have time to clear it up before you go on holiday or whatever like some of that stuff just you know that that can make the difference between somebody like leaving the server for a holiday and deciding actually i don't want to come back because i know as soon as i log in all that obsidian is going to be there waiting for me and you, you don't want to cause a situation where somebody just decides to quit entirely um, yeah, Saranind in our live chat is saying, as Grian once said, we prank hard, but we clean up harder. That's entirely the philosophy that you need to take into that kind of things. Um, the other thing I need to point out really is that on servers with YouTube or Twitch creators, the person pranking is often doing it to create an impression on the audience and not just the victim. Uh, so there's some of that stuff to be considered and you if you're joining a multiplayer server whether it's public or private you have to know who's going to be there because they're making youtube content because a surprising amount of people do and who's just there to have a good time and have fun because having a good time and having fun you need to know that person really well in order to make sure that you're pranking them in a way that's not a massive inconvenience for them and weighing down on their only free time they get to play minecraft I, yeah, I think that that kind of like um, permission is is key, and you'll see it in in servers like Hermitcraft where they have like the dare stick, but you have to sign up for it. Yeah, like you have yeah, to say exactly. yes. Here's my head in the dare stick shrine. I don't know what Eskel calls it, but you have to basically say yes. I am open to receiving the dare stick, and by doing that, you're signing up for whatever the person has in mind. Yeah, and it's it's still all in good fun because they're all good friends and they have a behind the scenes communication, you know, as you mentioned. But I think that kind of sign up is really important because there might be one or two hermits that just don't want to participate. Maybe yeah. they just don't have time. You know, like they 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 only have X amount of time and it's not that they don't like pranks or they don't like the dare stick idea. They're just like, look, I've got three hours a day to do this. And if I'm in the middle of a build and someone says like, you have to go capture three wardens, I'm using a recent example just as an example. Um, but if you have to go capture wardens, like that's a time sink. Like that's a lot of gameplay to do that. Mm -hmm. And and if that's something you have to do, then it takes, takes away from everything else. But if you've signed up for the dare stick, then you just know, sweet, this is just it's just creative. Like it's just, it's one of those things where I would have never thought to do this on my own. Or if I had, I wouldn't have been forced to do it right away. And it just, it's content creation. It creates silly circumstances. And I think there's a couple of good examples, um, specifically on Hermitcraft, uh, of the kind of, uh, non-disruptive, uh, good natured pranks. Uh, they have a data pack that allows them to assign custom sounds to music discs. Mm-hmm. And recently Tango recorded his own voice uh, and other things and started putting like automatic jukebox detectors like in people's bases. And he just the, the example that I got from him, which is so innocent and yet so effective, was basically he just recorded himself saying hello 
and and had that play in a couple different variations and completely duped B-dubs into thinking that he was there trying to like collaborate with him. Yeah, just on voice <laughs> chat. It, yeah. <laughs> on voice chat. And it just didn't it just it wasn't him, it was a recording. And I thought like that is it's subtle, it's non it's not even really disruptive. It's more like little like it's like someone, you know, tickling the back of your ear with a feather or something like that and then pretending like they didn't do it like it's so subtle and so simple and in such a good nature um and in in addition knowing the other hermits and knowing you know how people are going to react and i've seen the reaction and it just they you know like the saying like okay you got me good like that was funny that was mm -hmm. really really well well done and I, that kind of stuff i think is good the thing that i find um a problem is disruptive pranks like things that will interrupt what someone's trying to do or um, things that don't have how the other person is going to react in mind. Uh, if it's funny for you, then that's fine, but it should be funny for them. Like if it's, if you think this is going to make them laugh, it's probably a good prank. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're not sure about it, I would maybe question it. Like for me, I really only get to play Minecraft when I'm creating content. So any kind of like audio disruption plank, prank for me, like a jukebox going off repeatedly or, or a, 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 a note block rather, making a lot of racket, that's not the best. I don't, I wouldn't receive that very well. Yeah. Uh, where on, on the flip, uh, I remember um, uh, Alistair made like a candy cane pig roast and it was built outside my my medieval city. It made no sense at all, but it was just hilarious. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was 20 blocks. It was very easy to cut down. I got to keep all the stuff, uh, but it was very well crafted, very funny. Lots of like, everything was named really quirkily. And he had like British slang on all the food. And like, it was, it was really funny. Uh, and that kind of stuff is fine because again, I see it and I can choose to engage with it or I can choose to not, yeah. right? And I, th and I think that's, that's the thing. If you give... If you give the players the choice or um, like you said, with the prank card, clean up harder. I think that's a good one too. We did a, a creeper example for Matt Cast's birthday. And this is a fun thing that actually made it into the, the server culture. Um, Alistair and I built a giant creeper on top of Matt Cast's house. Uh, I may or may not have made it look like it was peeing. Uh, <laughs> and and um, the reason for that was it was Matt Cast's birthday and he was notorious for being blown up by creepers constantly on the server mm -hmm. um so we made a one that he could not miss it was pixel size right but block so it was like i don't know 24 blocks tall or something bananas anyway he liked it so much that he didn't take it down for a while and then we eventually offered to help him take it down which we did and he moved it he rebuilt it underground and it created a months-long project for him creating this giant creeper shrine underneath dartmouth meadows nice. it's a huge build and it's really cool it's got like green stained glass and it's got lanterns and there's um i can't remember what new blocks came out i think it was the nether blocks that came out that um like uh, blackstone and stuff that he used like it looks really really cool and he never would have made a creeper shrine had we not pranked him so yeah. like there's some happy endings to stuff like that if you know your server mates well enough uh and of course offer to help clean up then i think there there can be some good in that kind of thing yeah absolutely like one of the things i put in my notes when i was talking about like how, how do pranks actually work like how how is it like a prank that ends up being worthwhile know your enemy is one of them and like you know enemy and in giant inverted commas here but like if you're playing to someone's sense of humor or potentially even their ego you know if a, if a prank references something that they've done whether recently or historically that people can't live it down then 
it'll be flattering for them in a sense because it shows that you're paying attention to what they're doing and that's quite fun like if if it's if it's something that it can be an in-joke between you then you're already laughing um in season two of empires sort of really recently uh smallish beans triggered a skeleton horse trap and he saved three of the horses just like in a pit in the ground um but a couple of weeks earlier jimmy had found a fossil like a a deep slate level fossil so like diamonds in with the bones and everything and it was the first time any of us had seen one of those it was really cool and we decided to make a display case for it so that it could be preserved almost like a museum piece and so when smallish beans found these skeleton horses i was like we need to make a display case for those as well and so i snuck into his base and i made a display case for them like between clips like he logged out he logged back in and the dis- the, the skeleton horses were just like in this museum kind of terrarium um <laughs> and i wouldn't have known the horses were there if i hadn't been watching his live stream at the time so it's like pay attention to what some of the other folks around you are doing and ideas for pranks like that will pop up and i think the i I really can't stress this enough about pranks if you want to do good pranks you've really got to get creative tango's example with the the music disc thing is one of them is like you know the prank potential of that them retexturing pumpkins that you put on your head to being an entire oak tree in the last season was phenomenal like very very good whereas like if you're just tricking somebody into falling into a pit and dying or you know you have a a trap chest and it blows tnt up under their feet or something like that you know those end up falling into the sort of low effort almost slapstick routine stuff that's gonna get old really fast unless you do it frequently enough that it wraps around again and becomes funny because of how often they've fallen for it, right? You know, there's 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 stuff like that that can potentially work out for you, but you've got to play the long game. And you've also got to know the difference between a prank and griefing, which is a very important distinction to make. Griefing should be pretty obvious. If it's destructive, and especially if you're not helping to clear it up afterwards, definitely griefing. And that's the stuff that will get you in trouble with the rest of the server. Um... The skulk shrieker under the floorboards trick is fun once or twice, but it's already getting old for me at this point. So I'm kind of curious to see what else people can do with those, especially considering that, you know, player harvested skulk shriekers aren't doing all that much. They're, They're just making noise and that's it. They don't spawn the warden. They don't have any other real functionality. So it's starting to get a little bit old when you just walk through someplace and something screams nearby and you go, oh, okay, you know, I'm I'm not in an ancient city. I'm not even in the deep dark. I don't need to be worried about this spawning the warden. It's not going to be a sound that strikes fear into the heart of an experienced Minecraft player if they know their surroundings. I think a prank with a twist is always going to be way more satisfying. So, like, if you hear a, a skulk shrieker and then something completely unrelated happens like it's it spawns a creeper nearby or something like that like you you somehow unlock a bunch of other things or like you know a strider comes up out of nowhere because they're just goofy looking i don't know there's there's some fun stuff that you can do there that's going to take people by surprise and won't necessarily fall under the heading of a a prank if it's just like something harmless walks out but i do like the idea of subverting people's expectations and going back to empire season one um jimmy wanted a statue of a cod in his kingdom because he was the cod father and he decided that salmon was his enemy and i said oh i can build you a statue and i kind of designed it in creative but because copper was my principal export i built it out of copper themed blocks for the first time so it looked like a salmon (laughs) and so (laughs) we had like a back and forth about that and it was kind of a fun 
a fun way of sneaking it in and I was kind of feigning innocence and going oh it's the copper cod you know but then it was clearly meant to look like a salmon and eventually I swapped all of the blocks out for something that looked closer to cod colors but again like playing to somebody's expectations and playing to the stuff that they're trying to do with their base or their theme or whatever I think is is a really good way of doing it and ultimately I think pranks should just be a laugh for everybody involved even if it's laughing in disbelief that you've pulled the same silly prank again and if the recipient of the prank isn't laughing I'd argue that the prank is a failure because you've misjudged that person's sense of humor and fair play I think that's where it starts to cross the line into griefing if they don't see the funny side of it so that's that's really my advice as far as keeping a healthy SMP culture around pranking and and that kind of stuff Sweet Sandy brings up something interesting in our live chat, which is if it's not funny to the target, is it considered bullying? Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is one of the I reasons would... I wanted to have this discussion because obviously right now a lot of people are talking about what's good and bad manners on servers in relation to chat behavior with the chat reporting feature being a new thing. And that seems to be relatively lenient as long as it doesn't go into all out harassment and like physically threatening people, like real life threats. Uh, but there's still an element of this kind of culture that's going to be there in the actions that people can perform on a server that aren't going to show up in chat reports. And that's the stuff that traditionally and in perpetuity, server admins are going to play a role in making sure stuff like that doesn't happen and doesn't affect the enjoyment of everybody playing on the server. But yes, it is a, a delicate balance. And I yeah, I'd agree. If it's not funny for the target, then it's griefing, which is a form of bullying or harassment, really. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that question lies entirely in the target to discern because that's going to vary depending on how they feel about the situation. Yeah, I think absolutely. A, good rule, a good rule of thumb is similar to um, if you've got a close group of friends and you can tease one another uh, in good nature and you all have a good laugh about like, you know, maybe someone's, I, I'm not, I don't want to use any examples, but but you've got something between like me and my my close friends. We can joke about a couple of things that we know are fine. Uh, there's also a couple of lines we don't cross. And I think that if you don't know what that line is with your prank, then don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you are if you're if you're sure that this person is going to find it funny because you know that you can make fun of their love of diorite or whatever it is, then that's fine. You'll, you, they, you will both likely find it funny. But if you find yourself on a, on a SMP, specifically like a, like a public one where you may not know everyone very well, um, I, th I think that it's, it's worth the consideration. Like if you're not sure about it, it probably means you shouldn't do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's my thinking a hundred percent. And I feel like this all sort of wraps back around into everyone's spirit of cooperation again. <laughs> it's really what the biggest part of, of SMP culture. And part of what you can do is getting to know people on the server that you play on. And there are several creators from Empires who I didn't really know at all. I knew of them, but I'd never spoken to them before we joined a server together. Whereas now I feel like I have a, a measure of them and I can understand a little bit better what they like and don't like and and what makes a good prank what makes a good gift i think it's it's all about drawing those personal boundaries um that's where we're going to wrap up for this episode of the spawn chunks though folks so thank you so much for listening you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live as it is recorded in discord each week and you can also tune in for our monthly minecraft audio hang 
Hangout, which will be happening towards the end of the month this July. Uh, we're currently at 350 patrons, which is an additional six from last week, and possibly, I did a quick search and I can't really tell, but I think one of the highest totals we've ever reached in terms of support on the podcast. So thank you so much to everybody who has hopped on board recently, and special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter 5x5, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend that they can listen to The Spawn Chunks on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform of choice that helps us discover, uh, or be discovered rather, by new listeners. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I'm no longer building the Great Bridge. You can see more behind-the-scenes work for what I'm doing for both of the aforementioned YouTube series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecidlecafe.com. And of course, follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week from the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and has always been multiplayer. <laughs>